Welcome back to part two of our Smoked Beer series. If you uh, haven't listened to Smoke Them, if you got them, part one, I encourage you to just stop what you're doing. There's there's nothing more important than going back and listening to that episode, the first one. We uh, we had Stone Brewing, Liberty Station, Whiskey Del Bach, and Steeplejack Brewing Company on to share their experiences and absolute expertise in smoked beer and spirits. And today, if you're in for a real treat, well, you are in for a real treat because we have Alaskan Brewing Company and the folks at uh, Live Oak Brewing Company down in Texas here to round it out. But first, we thought it'd be pretty cool to have somebody on to dive a little bit deeper in more of a creativeness here by welcoming our very own, CMG's very own, Heather Jared, who is the Western Territory of Canada sales manager. How are you, Heather? Pretty good. How are you doing? Well, now it's, it's great to have you on. Uh, you've, you've been on a show before, and, and we're happy to have you join us on future episodes as well. So. Welcome to the team. As discussed, we, the majority of the episode, talking about smoked beers, the styles, really has some great guests on, but we thought it would be cool to talk specifically about food pairing with smoked beers. And Heather, we were talking earlier that we think this will be, we're going to tee this up for a full episode at some point to talk Mm -hmm. about just general beer and food, but specifically wanted to bring you on to chat about food pairing with smoked beers because you are a certified Cicerone, correct? That is correct. I am. This is one of my loves is uh, doing beer and food pairings as I have a long history in the hospitality industry. So this is kind of how I got, got started in craft beer. Still one of my absolute favorite things to do. Yeah. Something to be extremely proud of with that certification. I know that the test and, and everything you got to do to get that certification is, is difficult. And it's pretty cool in, our, in the brewing world. It's, you know, occasionally you'll run across somebody that has it on their business card and it's really cool. So I'm, I'm glad you got to do that. Congrats. Thank you. Thank you. So we also have uh, Grant Lawrence on again. Hey, Grant. Hey, Toby. Hey, Grant. Hey, Heather. Yeah. I'm, I'm stoked to have a, a Cicerone on here and, and chat a little bit about food and smoked beer, smoked spirit pairings. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. When I, we first thought about this, I was like, this is an awesome idea. But then I started thinking about smoked beer in itself. It's a very unique beer in that there's a lot, your, your, your mouth and your palate's having to deal with, right? There's you know, so there's, much going on there. <laughs> right. And like, I started to think about what would be a good bearing. And I have no idea. I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is uh barbecue, but <laughs> Would that clash, Heather? What, I mean, what would you say? I think everybody automatically goes to barbecue because you're thinking smoked meat and you're thinking smoked beer and you just think it's going to go together super, super well. And that's not to say that it won't. It absolutely will. But that can be a lot. That could be super overpowering. So it, it really wouldn't be my first choice to pair with. You're also going to get a bunch of different smoked styles too. So if you're doing beechwood smoked versus mesquite or anything like that, they can really contrast with each other and not kind of blend as well on the palate as you want them to. So typically I wouldn't say barbecue, but I would say meat. Absolutely would say meat. I like grilled meat in that fact, because you're going to get a lot of smoked flavors coming off of that because meat just typically has that kind of smoky flavor to it to begin with. And so they should complement each other really, really well. Yeah, and I'm glad you pointed out that the, the type of wood used in the brewing or uh, distilling process probably makes a big difference. You know, we were talking to an individual from Stone earlier, talking about their their smoked porter. They use peat malt or peated malt. Oh, that's a yeah. very interesting uh, smoked malt in that a lot of times if you're not used to it, and they, and they use it quite a bit 
in scotch really is mm-hmm. a lot of people say it's it's kind of like uh chewing on a burnt tire you know uh, yeah. but use it well you know it's it's great but uh you know what would you say you know if you're looking at something with a really heavy peat or heavy smoke versus something with a like a light cherry wood as far as pairings i think it kind of it also depends on the style of beer you're going with so if we're looking at like more of a traditional roush beer style those tend to be lager style beers. So they're going to be a lot lighter on the palate and a lot cleaner in the finish. And we're looking at a lot more of these smoked porters now. So something with that, I'd probably go with a really nice, funky, earthy cheese. Yeah. I was kind of, that was, that was like what I was thinking as well. Like something, something kind of like you want it to be fatty, but also kind of like more bright tasting, I I guess. Does that make sense? Like you want it to kind of pull the smoke out of your, out of your, taste buds, if you will. Mm-hmm. Well, and peat for me too, like when I, you know, kind of get peat on the palate, I get that really grassy aspect out of it too. So when you kind of like, I'm thinking of like a really kind of funky blue cheese, cause you want to match intensity. If you do something with like a super delicate, like goat's cheese and that way, why are you like, you're not going to taste the cheese at all. So it's kind of just going to wipe all you're going to taste is the beer, which of course you, you want to, but you want to be able to match your intensities between your beer and your food. Otherwise they're going to just lose each other in the process. So yeah, I would like, honestly, with a peated smoke porter. Yeah. 100% will go with a blue cheese. A nice piece of like Roquefort or something like that. Like, do you have a, do you have a blue cheese that you like? What, what's kind of your, what, what would be your go-to blue? Oh, I don't know if I have a go-to blue. <laughs> I'm a big blue fan. I, so I, I, was, I was interested to hear what you said. What you had. No, I, I really, I do love blue cheese, but I don't know if it's like typically something I have in my fridge. Now I kind of want some. <laughs> like if I was going to like take like a heavy smoked porter and just kind of like looking at some of the other, you know, smoke porters on the market and stuff, like think like a steak grilled with a mm-hmm. blue cheese and mushroom sauce. Oh, that sounds fantastic. Like, I just feel like that is exactly what I want with a smoke porter. Because you get those earthy components from it. The mushrooms, the blue cheese, it's going to be strong. It's going to be smoky in the meat. And it's going to be nice and fatty, too. So it's just going to hold up to what the beer is presenting. Makes sense Gosh, to me. that sounds great. Yeah, right. Is I, everybody I hungry cheese. now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I love a blue cheese crusted steak. You know, like, there's lots of people out there that are kind of like, oh, you know, you yeah, you can't put anything on a steak. Like they're very like purist in that. And like I get that, but I, I don't know if it's that I just live in the land of steak or what, but like it's kind of boring. Like I I like, you know, I like stuff like that. I like blue cheese crust or Oscar or something like that. Absolutely. We're not saying put ketchup on it or anything. No, no, there's no, anything no. wrong with that. We're <laughs> no. saying make a nice blue cheese dressing. I think it depends on the steak too, right? I mean, if you've got some sort of glaze on top of of, of a fillet. Yeah. You know, but, Excellent you point. know, like a, a ribeye or something like that may not need it just because you have, you know, a little bit more of that uh, marbling and a little fattiness to it. Absolutely. I've worked at a lot of higher end restaurants. So, and I think every single one of them, every steak that they've ever served has always come with some sort of glazer house sauce that they put on top of it. And I come from the land of like Alberta beef. So that's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's for another conversation. I'll argue the, the greatness of uh, Texas beef versus a uh, Canadian. We're going to have to have a, a cook off <laughs> at some point in time. I think for, for beer, I, and obviously we've all done wine pairings with food over and over again. And I think one of the, the coolest things about beer is just all the aspects of 
what beer brings to the table and what aspects can be paired with food. So the mouthfeel, the carbonation, those things matter when it comes to pairing them with food. Obviously the malt, is it roasty? Is it biscuity? And then you've got your hops in there too. Is it citrusy? Is it resiny? Like it's just, there's so many cool aspects to kind of pull from when you're doing pairings. So, and the smoked malt one, so many different things. Yeah. Great point on the, the, the carbonation. You you don't get that with, most wines, right? I think it just is a, a palate cleanser and kind of opens up, you know, all the taste buds for, for what, what you got going on with the food. Yeah, absolutely. What about, oh, it's not, I'm just thinking about the cheese comment, the blue cheese. Mm-hmm. And this is, I'm kind of off topic here, but when you're eating a blue cheese with say a, a smoked beer, smoked port or something, are you including crackers? Hey, you can. Or like a good baguette, something like super kind of neutral. Right. And I don't often just like scoop blue cheese and eat it by the spoonful. Oh, I've been known to. I do. It's <laughs> like he does it with peanut butter too. <laughs> yeah. You know what? One of my all-time favorite blue cheeses, and I think it pairs awesomely with beer. I've never had it with a smoked beer, to be fair. Usually it's like a Saison or something, but there's this great cheese out of California called Humboldt Fog. And it is a blue goat's milk cheese that I Ooh. love. It's a goat's milk. It's a blue goat's milk brie. Wow. Yeah. Hey, what about, we, we talked about beef. We talked about, you know, something grilled. Mm-hmm. What about seafood? Any salmon? Any, yeah. <laughs> salmon. Absolutely. To a T. I don't know if I would particularly do it maybe with a smoked porter, just kind of depending on how heavy like that roast is in there. Cause that would really overpower the salmon, but like a plank salmon with a traditional roast beer, you just have like beautiful smoked salmon. Nice. Nice. What about salads, right? We mentioned blue cheese, some of those kind of the rich salads. Anything come to mind, Heather? I think anything that you could, salads are great too, because you can put whatever ingredients in there you want. So you could top the salad off with some crumbled cheese and it would kind of, you know, bring that in there. What kind of dressing are you going to use? Is it going to have, you know, is it going to be super mild? Is it going to be creamy? Is it, you know, going to have like different kind of earthy components and different herbs and spices and, and that sort of thing? Are you going to use radishes like it's you, there's so many different things that you could put in there that would like work really well with it i can see um, radishes working well like i could too I'm so like, yeah radishes and carrots just all of a sudden i was like that sounds nice little little crudite with some mm-hmm. smoked beers yeah I, I know there's there's so many different things to look at right when you're you're pairing food and beer but is there something when somebody asks you what, what's just simplified or basics to remember when pairing beer with food. And we talked a little bit about it, but, but any, any, you know, if you had to tell somebody here, here's kind of your basics on how to get started in, in 30 seconds, what would it be? Always match strengths. We definitely said that before. You just like, don't want to pick something like a super, super heavy beer and a super, super light food. It's just going to, they're going to wash each other out and look at whether you want to compare your flavors or contrast your flavors. So we're talking about pairing a stout with a chocolate cake, those are comparative flavors. They're going to complement each other really well. They're going to have like super, super dark, chocolatey, roasty flavors in there. But you could also pair a creek with a chocolate cake, which is light, like sour, carbonated, berry flavored. That's going to also pair really, really well with chocolate. So yeah, compare and or contrast and don't uh, pick anything too, too strong with anything too, too light for the simples on that. Yeah. Mm, sounds so good right now. 
kind of want a steak and some cake. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking cheesecake, a little strawberry mm-hmm. on top. Oh, there is this restaurant in Calgary that's very beer focused and they do a chocolate bar and they put a chocolate roast malt on it. And it is so good. Now that's kind of what I want. <laughs> Speaking of kind of like cooking with beer or spirits, any like tips for like cooking with a smoked beer or smoked spirit? I've never done a ton of cooking with beer other than making beer bread. Anybody hasn't done that is delicious. Yeah, you could probably do a really lovely glaze with a with a smoked beer or smoked spirit and do it with something like a pork shoulder or something like really traditional to like almost like a traditional German food. Like these are traditionally done like grouch beers and what grows together, goes together. So these beers were created with lots of like braised pork and sausage and stuff like that. So kind of look for that. That'd be really cool to make a sauce out of that. Just like boil down some kind Mm -hmm. of, some kind of smoked beer with like a high finishing gravity. So there's, it's all syrupy. Yes. Cool. (laughs) I'd be interested too marinating with the, with the, and I've, I've marinated some, some things with various beers, but with a smoked beer would probably be unique. I wonder if the end result, you would, you would pick up any of that smokiness of the beer. I'd say you probably would. It's such a backbone of it. I I can see that just transferring over. There's something we can try. (laughs) If you, you know, would be able to have one perfect meal along with a smoked beer. And I know you've pegged a lot of different things, but like start to finish from like appetizer to dessert with your choice of a smoked beer. And you can name some if you like breweries, whatever. I'm just curious to know kind of what, what your, your dinner would look like from start to finish. Oh, wow. I definitely want to start off with a, like a traditional Roush beer and a salad. I think that's great. I think you want to bring in some of those earthy components in there. Like we said, a lot of root vegetables and probably some a little bit stronger of cheeses to kind of addition to the salad. If we're going to go main course, like I said, I'm going to probably go steak. <laughs> I'm going to want it probably charcoal grilled steak, do that blue cheese dressing and that and those wild mushrooms on there as well. And for dessert, that is a little bit of a tough one. I forget to stick with like almost like the Alaskan smoked porter. I'd probably do like a nice chocolate, like a chocolate cake with a little bit of like chocolate grenache on top. Cause you're just going to bring out that roastiness. And I do think that the smokiness in the beer is going to actually pair quite nicely with the chocolate. Some contrasting flavors there. This was a, just a terrible time to, uh, yeah, right. I'm this getting yeah, I mean, super hungry now. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's four 30 here. It's towards the end of the day. I, I didn't eat much lunch. Gosh, what a terrible time to do this. <laughs> okay. Well, I think the, I think for Grant and I, the, the real key question is here because we have some really kick <gasps> Mexican food down here. Mm. Is there, is there any way that, or any particular like, Mexican cuisine that would pair well with smoked beer? I could see it going well with, I kind of want to say chorizo, which I obviously know was Spanish, but I, I know that it, uh, it it's used a lot of like, in like a pulled pork taco. It would go nice with anything a bit spicy because it's going to kind of balance that out. And especially if you're going to go on the lager side of things, it's going to be light and clean and kind of balance that out at the end with the higher carbonation and a little cleaner finish. But if, even if you went on the sweeter side with a porter, so is the sweet and spicy contrasting flavors really balance each other out too. 
for sure. Pork, yeah, definitely like a pork taco. Like that, the smoke, uh, you know, would kind of, yeah, like you're saying, just would mellow out kind of the, the capsaicin from like the peppers or whatever mm-hmm. you're in your food. Okay, cool. Yeah. I could see it going real well with the flan as well. Yeah, oh, like yeah the, uh, the Mexican style custard. Good point. It's like the, the Spanish version of like creme brulee, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently it's coming Mexican food with you guys. I'm <laughs> <laughs> down. Ah, I just, I, I'll eat anything down here. That's for sure. I think Grant will too. <laughs> yeah. So, so Grant, we mentioned on other podcasts too, your soiree, if you will, into, uh, is, is, is butchery a, a word? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Butchery. Yeah. <laughs> This is an interesting college job. Yeah, it was great. I mean, y'all, y'all already brought up some like, in fact, I think you made the perfect point. Like when you're topping something with like a blue cheese or something like that, like some, maybe something that's like more neutral, like a piece of filet. I hundred percent agree with any, any particular smoke beers that, uh, that you're, you're enjoying up in uh, your neck of the woods. Any customers that you know that are producing some pretty excellent stuff that we should know of? Nobody's really doing them on the regular. We're we're getting them a bit more uh, specialty beers. I know Medicine Hat Brewing in Alberta did a smoked stout. I know Cole Harbor in BC was doing a smoked porter as well. So they're definitely around. They're just not. But I think that's something that I don't think smoked beers are as popular as they could slash should be. Yeah, we, we, we talked about it a couple of times today. Grand is just, it's, it's a cool style that seems like the people in the industry, like ourselves, love them, but it just hasn't pick, picked up a lot of steam from the general consumption. What, one trend that I've noticed with like smoked beers or smoked anything in general is that all the distillers tend to love them. I, I would say that like every distiller I've ever met, they really enjoy like Lafroy or smoked beers or, you know, anything that's smoky. Seems like the distiller folk gravitate towards them. I feel like that's not shocking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess it kind of goes hand in hand, right? Yeah. So out of our, out of the stuff that, that country malt group carries, and maybe this is a question for really both of you. We got a pretty wide variety of, of offerings from, from breeze to, to best malts to even Colorado malting for that matter, not playing favorites here, but Grant, Grant, what are you saying, you know, or out of, out of the selection that we have, what are some, some of the, the malts that brewers may think about trying if they're new to, to this style or want to, want to, you know, kind of put their, their toes in the water as far as this style? Well, you know, maybe I'm just a little biased because of like my geog, the geography here and kind of the, the German brewing tra- traditions in central Texas. But for me, I would say start off with just the best mall smoke. It's, it's, you know, it's Beechwood, So it's very like mild comparatively to some of the other ones. And yeah, it just makes a, makes a beautiful traditional Roush beer. Like, like Heather was saying, just like a lighter beer style for the, for the weather and the climate here. But yeah, that's try that one. And then, you know, move on to like maybe the breeze, the breeze, um, uh, the cherry or the mesquite. And then from there go up to, it's heavy peated. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> heavy peated. It's it's the sledgehammer, right? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe start slow. Yeah. <laughs> yep. But there's something always like really, um, I guess maybe just like near and dear with that that traditional beechwood smoke. Yeah. So you know that's that's how this actually like style of beer started. So I think it's kind of it's a good intro into wanting to work with a, a smoked malt. Yeah. Heather, what about, what about the breweries out there that just don't have a kitchen, you know, and 
you know, they don't have the normal food truck that, that visits, but they have to provide snacks or they do provide, you know, easy snacks. Is there something that just comes to mind as far as something simple that you know, a brewer can offer as a, as a, as a snack for somebody with a smoked beer in their facility? Potato chips. Mm. Ooh, mm-hmm. good one. Any particular can, type? Yeah. Or? I, I mean, you can obviously do like a barbecue because it's not going to be that super heavy smoke. I would almost just go for like a good plain or like almost a sour cream and onion. Like some so salt? Like yeah. Yeah. Cause that, that salty, like a, a really good plain saltiness is going to, I think go really, really nicely with the smoke or even just again, a sour cream and onion. I'm like just feeling that earthy, hmm. like root vegetable component of it. Yeah. It's got a bit of that like cheesiness aspect mm-hmm. like we were talking about for sure. Yeah. What do you think like kettle cooked or just, just plain or what do you, I, I would probably go plain, but yeah. I'm like not a huge kettle cook potato uh, chip kind of gal. So I don't know if that's an actual kind of gal, but that's, <laughs> that's what I would probably go for. I've done beer and uh, potato chip pairings before, and we did like a mesquite barbecue potato chip with a porter. And it was one of my absolute favorite pairings. I just really loved those two together. So that sounds dreamy. Yeah. Really? It's nice. Curveball here. Cause we're talking about odd pairings. What is the weirdest? Well, to someone, you, if someone, if you were to tell somebody, what is the strangest pairing that you came across? You're like, this really works. This is awesome. And, and it doesn't have to be smoke beer. I have not tried this since. And this was, I had this, I was out for dinner um, in Las Vegas. And this was right when I was studying for my Cicerone and they had agreed to do, and my, my girlfriend I was with was a sommelier. So they had agreed to do a wine pairing for her and a beer pairing for me. And they did like a tomato carpaccio with a, a milk stout. Wow. And it weirdly was good. Huh. And I've, I haven't tried it since I've had arguments with one of my friends who's also sister. And he's like, no, that's terrible. That sounds terrible. But, but it, but it wasn't like the, say, is that because- the acidity from the Like tomatoes are really hard food to pair with beer, just how highly acidic they are. And there was just something about that with the creaminess of the milk stout that just worked so well. Did tomatoes fall in that umami category? I, I would say so. Yes. Okay. Well, tomato carpaccio, is that like uh is that sort of like a caprese salad or is that different? It's more kind of like a, a bruschetta, but like not really oniony and garlicky. So really Sorry. finely diced with a bunch of different kinds of tomatoes. It was really good. <laughs> awesome. What about you, Greg? Hey. <laughs> would you what what would you what would you say just an odd pairing that you came across or something that would people would be surprised that uh, you came across it's like a really cool pairing that that fit well together surprisingly gosh uh i feel like this is a thing now but it didn't used to be the very first time i heard about it i thought it was weird but i, I don't know it's probably commonplace now is like beer and donut pairing like tastings i see i've seen that again and again like you know but I think it can work really well because you can you can kind of do whatever you want with the donut, right? Like you can, they got like those crazy craft donut shops that do like bacon on top of them, you know, things like that. It was weird to me at first, but I, I would say that's, uh, yeah, that's pretty neat. It surprisingly works very well. Two odd ones, and I'll start with wine. And I, I got a buddy of mine that was like, first of all, let me back up. I like wine with pizza. Is that strange? I mean, it's just... Yeah. yeah. You know, I like again, you, right? Spicy. You go with, again, what grows together goes together. 
wine is an Italian thing. <laughs> Pizza is an Italian thing. They're made to go together. Yeah. And then I had a buddy that swore by, you got to take a Cabernet and Doritos. <laughs> I was like, this sounds gross. That's awesome. You know, I was about three, three glasses in when he told me this and I, hell, I can't remember what it was like, but of course I was like, Oh, that's awesome. But I haven't tried it since. What Doritos uh, are we talking about? Like, just like just, just cool the ranch or the nacho? nachos? Just the straight nacho. Uh, I can see that. Uh, the other thing I love the chicharrones, you know, like the, the fried pork skins. Yes. But delicious. I also like, you know, I like to just, just slather them with, uh, Cholula or specifically Tapatio. I, I love that in like a really clean, crisp lager. Hell yeah. Ah, I can so see that. Great. Yeah. It's a pretty like big thing in Mexico, right? Where they kind of just like, it sounds kind of weird at first, but it's like taking some kind of like chip or chicharrones, something like that. And then just like coating it in like hot sauce, pretty common, but just. Yeah. And it kind of makes them soggy, right? Yeah. Like if you, if you don't throw it in your mouth immediately, it, it just starts getting soggy. Yeah. Cool. I used to do that with popcorn too, you know, throw tapatio or, or something Tabasco on popcorn. It'd kind of do the same thing. Just like, yeah. like you're eating mush. <laughs> yeah, it was good. I know it's like pretty common in like Mexico city, for instance, to like dip chicharrones and guacamole instead of chips. And like, you know, with all these diets these days, it's like, it's actually, it's usually typically diet friendly to do that. So pretty cool. Yeah. Cause it's what? No carbs. Yeah, no carbs. Gluten-free. Yeah, gluten-free, no carbs. <laughs> Except for all the oil they fry it in, right? That's what people overlook. Yes. Yeah, it's well. still delicious. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, Heather, this has been, this has been awesome. Really, well, really cool. And yeah. we, it's gonna, we're going to get it done. We're going we're gonna to set up a full episode, have you on. We'll talk all things uh, beer and food pairing. It, we could really keep this rolling for another hour. We're going to do we that. Probably could. And we just get hungry and hungrier the further we go along. So well, let's do it over a meal. Right. And then we can all, you know, be eating while doing it and share our thoughts on what we're pairing our food and beer with. That sounds like a deal. Get, get all the usual suspects together. Right. And have everybody submit their favorite beer and food pairing and then have Heather critique them. <laughs> Please do. Just start send- if everybody just starts sending me beer and food, I'm not going to be angry about it. So that's something that we can do. I'm on board. So another option is we just pick a pick a single beer and say, "Hey, uh, you know, everybody come five up with of your, us. Yeah. yeah, you're pairing, right. yeah. yeah, absolutely." Again, like I have, I have a friend that you know does this. He runs a boutique beer bar and restaurant, and this is what he does for a living. And we never agree on beer and food pairings. Neither of us is ever wrong. We just never agree on it. We like to go in different directions and it's always fun to discuss and go over them and fight about it. Yes. I'm really proud today to have on our podcast, Mr. Curtis Holmes and Jeff from Alaskan Brewing. How's it going guys? Going well. (laughs) All right. And tell us a little bit about smoking your own malt. Well, you know what? First off, I think I just want to say it's great to be here and it's great to be able to sit there and share the time with Curtis. Between Curtis and I, we have uh, 66 years of, of smoked malt processing and smoked malt use. Just a little bit of time. Yeah. 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 A little bit of time. And in fact, Curtis, you were just smoking malt the other day, weren't you? Actually, we're going to do it next week. We had to postpone. So next next uh, Monday night, we're going to be doing okay. something. Awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's uh, quite an amazing uh, journey that we've been on in regards to using smoke. Well, I know, Heather and Grant, you talked uh, about us talking about our Alaskan smoke porter, which we we have no problem talking about. But we use our smoke malt in a number of different beers, not necessarily always with the intention of having it as a primary flavor component. So I think that's an element that most people just maybe don't quite think about. And that's one thing I think we'd we'd like to share with people. Absolutely. What other beers do you utilize it in? Well, we just celebrated our 35th anniversary. And, and so we put out an anniversary beer. It's, it's a Russian Imperial stout with, with a little bit of smoked malt, but we also use some birch syrup and some honey. But the smoked malt, if you weren't told it was in there, I think you'd be maybe somewhat pressed to say that you, you got a smoky character. What do you think, Curtis? Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, it's pretty light. The birch syrup gives a little bit of uh, smokiness as well. So when we originally did that beer, we were trying to showcase Alaska ingredients. So the bird shrubs comes from up near Anchorage, Fairbanks, and the honey was fireweed honey, honey, which is a flower that grows here. But part of that was also our smoked malt, and it helped accentuate the bird syrup a little bit. So I get some like phenolic notes from the bird syrup, but within that, you know, the uh, smoked malt's hiding in there as well, but pretty subtle. Yeah, that's yeah. really neat. Uh, the, just the Alaskan uh, ingredients you guys use in general. Like I, I knew about the spruce tips, you know, famously, but I had never heard of the birch syrup. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, man, and I think Dan, you, you or Grant, you, you hit it squarely on the head. There was an interesting element of the smoke character being also from our locale because the old breweries back in the you know early or late 1800s, early 1900s were often also malt houses. They would be making the malt to be able to brew the beer. And back then, direct fired heat would be the standard process for that that element of the malt production. And so we just made that leap of the fact that um, they're using probably the, the the wood of choice for, for that sort of processing, which would be alder. So it's really kind of the signature character. Yeah, so you're talking about like the kilning part of the malt, drying it with alder wood versus, you know, it's natural gas these days. But yeah, very cool. Yeah, very cool. correct. Yeah. And uh, Curtis, why don't you just tell them why, why, why we, we smoke at night? I think that's kind of a funny uh. story. <laughs> yeah, so we're, uh, we have an old smokehouse that we bought from a fish smokery that used to be across the street from us when Jeff first started the brewery and Taku Smokeries, Taku Fisheries. And when we put it across the street, our smoking process is pretty intense. So it you know puts off this nice white smoke coming off the stack. But you have to be a little careful because the neighbors either think you have a really big fireplace going or or something else is going on in the building. And it's also pretty odorous. You know, it's, uh, it smells great. It's a lot of alder smoke uh, smell to it. But we have a lot of businesses around us with open doors. And we didn't want to also overdo it with the smoke smell. Sure. Smoke them out. Has anybody actually called the fire department when you have done your smoking? (laughs) You know, we've never had it. We've we've talked to fire departments. They know what we're doing. And we we always hang a sign on the door. So somebody comes by and wonders why this smoke's pouring out of the, this this nice white smoke's pouring out of the smokestack. They know what's going on. When Taku Fisheries, they're located now downtown, about five miles away from the brewery. And they're right on the channel. So we have a, you know, Pacific Ocean runs between the downtown area and a small island called Douglas. 
And people in Douglas would see the smoke coming off Taku smokeries in the winter. And they would actually call the fire department because they thought the building was on fire because it would kind of curl off the building and go out across the water. And it looked like the building was burning down. <laughs> so, yeah. so what does this smoker look? I'm trying to picture it in my head. It's like, is it, is it kind of like a building and then there's like a long tube that goes to where the malt is, or is it just a fire, you know, under malt? Like, is it, are you trying to do it indirectly or how does that work? Yeah. You want me to cover that, Jeff? Yeah, sure. Yeah, go ahead yeah. and give the, the physical description and I can go geeking yeah. out about the chemistry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, you're way better at that than me. I just know it's smoke. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, a I guess you'd call it an industrial size or, or food processor size smoke. So it's got a big rack in it that holds about 10 trays and the trays are probably uh, four foot by four foot square. So it's, you know, it's designed to process a lot of smoked fish and uh, it has an indirect fire on it. So we take the, the wood chips, the wood sawdust, and it piles into this little container and just slowly feeds into a, a smoldering fire down at the bottom. And then there's a fan that takes that smoke indirectly and blows it past the malt. And that way you're not getting uh, any of the ash or embers that blow in across the malt that might contaminate it. So it's designed from a, you know, that you'd be doing fish and it would be food grade. So it's a pretty nice process. That also helps cool the smoke down a little bit so you don't cook the malt too much. You know, you can get a little bit of colorization from the malt, just like you would with smoked salmon, but it's not blowing in any of that char or anything you would want to see on the malt. From there, it goes out in the stack and exhausts out, and you just put as much smoke in as you want to build the character you want. Do you, I take it you have some kind of standard like that that's based on like the, what, like the PPM of phenol or something like that that you're going for or? How does that work? How do you know when it's smoky enough? Well, we have kind of a set recipe. I'll let Jeff probably knows a little bit more on the chemistry side, so I'll let him answer on that. But for for our side on the machine, it's a, pretty much a set recipe. We put in a certain amount of alder chips that we know will smoke a batch of malt, and then we run it for a set time. You know, it's pretty much like the brewing process, very similar. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's it's a computer controlled smokehouse. So it controls smoke density, smoke temperature, uh, humidity. So it, it is a fairly sophisticated unit for use in food processing. So as Curtis said, the remote smoke generator controls those particulates and the like, which in, in smoke generation, you have to be careful of particulates because they have polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons that you try to avoid. So that's the nice thing about our operation is it, it, it is, is using the technology for something that actually is, I, I would have to say, probably very much a part of our our genetic code i mean let's face it you know fire and and smoky foods i think they elicit a an, an innate positive feeling towards you know the fact that that's a point of security it's heat it's keeping the wild animals away when you're thinking about <laughs> us being in caveman era but at the same time i think curtis hit it i mean there's a a, a really interesting subtle characteristic of using Maybe it's not necessarily uh, in-your-face smoke intensity in your products, and that it, it, it creates a, a longevity. It gives them uh, a more of a shelf life, and that makes sense when you think about its use in, in food preparations for whether it be smoked meats or, or smoked fish. Yeah, um, I didn't even think about it from that um, standpoint of, like, shelf life. Really cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting. You you talked about the, you know noting the percentage of uh, phenols. I, I visited uh, Baird. Malt, malt house up in, in Scotland and yeah and, and they use that as a as a as a as a tracker 
For us, we're we're essentially depending upon the fact that our processing of of the malt is is done by a, a computer program. It's it's a fairly lengthy program. It starts at, at you know basically it's a twenty four hour program because what we do is is dry it at the end of the smoking operation. One of the other byproducts in burning wood is acetic acid. So it's extraordinarily important if, if, if a brewer were to be making their own, that they dry it thoroughly because that'll drive off that acetic acid, which is inherent byproduct of, of wood burning. So that's why it's such a long processing that we do, because we really do want to drive off the acetic acid and just have that smoke character. But, you know, you all have a variety of smoke malts available to the, to the uh, consumer that's or right. to the brewer that wants to, to use smoke malts. And I think that's really one thing that we investigated. Are smoke characters different? Sure. And the answer is unequivocally yes. Yeah. 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 That's kind of what we've been hearing from a couple different brewers on these segments. You know, we, we were talking with one the other day about mesquite. So I just was really stoked to have you guys on. So I knew you used the alder. So mm-hmm. such a, yeah. such a neat wood, you know, it's not, it's not everywhere, right? It's quintessentially Alaskan, I'd, I'd say. Yeah. Alder's like a Northwest product. I mean, and that, that was one thing that was very interesting. A story of, I've told many times is that when people would, would taste our beer, they would comment on it tasting, tasting fishy. And I tell you, I was like so adamant. No, no, no. I, yes, it's a fish smokehouse, but we were really careful. And like, well, I was talking to Greg Noonan on, in Vermont, and he was using hickory. And he was accused of his beer tasting like smoked ham because of hickory. Uh-huh. His flavor just, association. Yeah. His flavor association. Yep. It's wonderful to be able to sit there and, and wrap yourself around something that's local and that it's expressed and that people will recognize it. And that's really kind of neat. And I think that's what's great about being able to sit there and have a product like our Alaskan Smoke Porter, just because it is so, it's an interesting characteristic. But as with anything, too much of a good thing is not not necessarily good. So it's a delicate balance to make sure that you have the right amount of smoke that's appealing. I use the analogy of, you know, salt is an amazing ingredient in cooking food. But yeah. you put too much in. That's right. You ruin it. <laughs> so that's that's the one thing that I would say that's that's a really a point of emphasis for the brewers that want to try this and they're going to buy it buy the malt from you all just you know be I would say be careful and 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 actually it's 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 easy to be subtle but if you overdo it it, it could be maybe over the top and and not what you want. I would say I had a similar discussion to that at to one of the beer festivals where I had a home brewer come up and he was really excited and gave me a bottle of his beer to try because we make smoke porter and his effort at it, he smoked the hops, he smoked them all, 100% of everything. And surprisingly, the beer was okay. I didn't think I was going to be able to drink it. Um, <laughs> um, but it was uh, whatever smoke he did, he probably did it light enough that the beer was actually pretty decent. But yeah, I, I've talked to people where they're always surprised that, you know, two, three percent of your grist is is often enough to pick it up pretty well. <laughs> to just point, you know, with hickory and mesquite, they're really strong woods. So less is more sometimes and you'll get more of that character where if you overdo it, it's that's all people can taste and it kind of leaves the flavor of the beer in there. Did you have a lot of trial and error when you were working when you first decided to create this beer? Is there a lot of trial and error with the smoke malt? Absolutely. As Curtis said, we, we smoke our malt intensely. Our 
grist bill is not necessarily this huge amount of smoked malt. Whereas if you get, you know, a beechwood smoked malt from you all, you you would be able to use quite a bit more in your your malt bill. But I think it, it really is a bit of trial and error because you do have to dial it in. I remember when the peak malts first came into the United States, they had high, medium and low. And the high was extraordinarily intense, and you had to be real careful about using too much. And peat is a very, peat reek is a very yeah. unique smoke character. But again, you know, it's it's an adventure. It's a dimension of flavor that that people have to just embrace the fact that if people are making their own malt, a couple suggestions, of course, we... I was asked to, to write a book with uh, Ray Daniels with the Association of Brewers. And so we talk a little bit about the, the whole process. And and I would say if somebody's going to make their own malt, you know, we, we use a, a light colored malt. I would not recommend using crystal malt because part of the process of, of, of smoke deposition is really akin to the way malt is made. They have that wet malt that now needs to be dried and that process actually we tried to emulate with d- dampening the malt so that the malt moisture will allow the water soluble components that make smoke smoke tasting smoke aromatically available and also there's a cooling element so that there's a condensation effect so the two effects are solubility of, of the smoke and the secondly condensation of the smoke on the cooler relatively speaking cooler malt because it's damp. But then again, I, I, I emphasize if, if somebody's going to be making them all, be aware that there's an acidic, acetic acid component that's very soluble in water and you will get an acetic acid character. So you must dry the malt at the gotcha. end. But, you know, commercially available smoke malts have done that for you. And it's just it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful way of of learning, because I always suggest if somebody's going to make their smoke malt, make a a lot so that you have enough time to play with now a homogeneous raw material. It's a good point. Yeah. Have a big batch size so you can, yeah, make a couple batches with it and then tweak from there. Uh, right. Cool. So I know that you released this in vintages. Do you have a personal favorite vintage of the smoked porter? Chris? Taking uh, <laughs> a favorite child? Yeah, I have a few. I, 2008 was a pretty good year. We won quite a few medals off that year, but it was, it was, you know, the, the smoking process is just like the malting process in that the alder is different every year. It's a natural product. Mm-hmm. Um, so the vintages to me change year to year, even though we're really careful about smoking it the same. I've always been surprised every year when we pull a batch out of the smokehouse, how it can taste slightly different, a little, little more smoky, less smoky, a little more woody. And I think that passes through to the beer, obviously. And so, yeah, 2008. And then I would say probably thinking there's one back in like 98, 99. It was a really good one that I liked too. Yeah. yeah. I also like, Chris, the way you describe the smoke character from that particular, that year's vintage. You basically have, have talked about how the dynamic character of the smoke, you want, you want to wait a little bit for it to mellow a bit. Yeah. 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 And I'm, yeah. And that's an interesting point too. Like when we first brew it, uh, there's people that like it straight out of the tank and it's very smoky, a little more ashy roasted tasting. And some people just they'll drink bottles of it. Me personally, I always like waiting about four or five months till the smoke kind of subdues and it melds in with some of the malt characters. So I, 
often wait five, six months up to a year before I drink my bottles. I'll try one off the tank, but it's just, I, it's, it's so, I don't want to use the term harsh. It's just really smoky and, and yeah. I like to have it mellow, mellow out a bit. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's an aggressive, uh, maybe a, an aggressive kind of uh, character. And that's one thing that, that we found when we first brewed the, the beer. And that was basically, you know, we labeled it 89, but we actually brewed it in just, you know, and bottled it in December of 88. But we, we were re- releasing it as a seasonal and, and we really didn't think of it as being able to take age. It was later, much later when we would be tasting bottles that were a year or two old, that we realized there was some real interesting developments and maturity that was coming into the beer. And so it was later in 1993, I, I was in a, a room I had taste, I had convened a few beer writers, including Michael Jackson, Fred Eckert, also Greg Noonan, also had Tom Daldorf of the Celebrator, and and a few other well-known QC people, Ed Lapero from Ball Corporation, and asked them with the old beers what they would recommend. I mean, do you think this is a beer that could age? And there was a you know, resounding affirmation. And then Michael Jackson had suggested that we think about, instead of filtering the beer, letting some yeast stay in the beer for it to have its uh, an additional dimension of of aging or capability. So from 93 on, we pretty much have always just let the settle out. It is not with a whole bunch of sediment, but it is essentially a beer that we've let let live on mm-hmm. uh, with the yeast, adding that maybe aging component. And uh, so really it's been pretty interesting. So from then on, we really did start talking about its aging capability. Again, that was a kind of a, a bit of a, a journey and discovery that was really fun. But I would say that's what's really cool is you could buy, you know, 12 bottles and literally learn over 12 years how that beer develops and changes. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. Every year. Great vertical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I would say if, if somebody was going to do a vertical, I always like what Jeff taught me a long time ago is do about every two, three years apart from each other because the year to year is pretty subtle. But if you get a two or three year difference between them, it really stands out how the, the maltiness comes and goes. I've always been surprised how the smoke will come and go some years. You'll try one that's maybe five years old and you don't think it's very smoky and you might try it two, three years later and the smoke's kind of come back a bit. So it's, it's really interesting how that beer changes year to year as it ages. Also, I think uh, if you do a vertical, start with the oldest beer first because the smoke does mellow with time. So... If you started with this year's vintage, I think you, you, your your smoke receptors would be saturated. And, and that's one thing I definitely, when I'm judging a smoke beer category, if it's for a homebrew competition, I always use my nose first and then rank the beers in, in ascending order of smokiness. But I'll always start with the least smoky because... If you start with something too intense, intense, you will not be able to perceive the smoke character because your your yeah. your palate saturated. You'll have ruined your palate. Yeah, That's fatigue. Yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah, well, I wouldn't have thought of that initially, but yeah, it makes perfect sense when you when you. Curtis, how many like times that, have yeah. we come out of the smokehouse and we taste them all, and we're going, it's not smoky. Yeah, <laughs> every smoky? year. Well, <laughs> we just came out of the smokehouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty. 
pretty much every year we we uh, get done with the batch and we're all depressed that we didn't think we did it right. And we walk into the office across the street and just about gas everybody out that we smell like a campfire. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any like kind of one-off um, smoke beers there, there at your brewery that aren't, you know, bottled and packaged and sent out anything, you know, a little special side project y'all are working on smoke beer wise. Don't think we have anything currently, but we usually, as Jeff said, we always have a tote of smoke malt. We tend to smoke in, in January, February when things are quieter. And then we brew the porter in August, September when we are getting ready for it to come out. So we always have a tote of it sitting around. So some of the brewers will just grab it and throw it in. I've seen it in light beers, darker beers. Mm -hmm. uh, some okay. of them will just play with it. You know, sometimes they'll throw a pound in. But right now, yeah, I don't think we have anything currently that anybody gotcha. played with. So. But I think, I think, Curtis, you just, you know, you, you again, going back to the fact that our, our staff, you see, see the smoke malt as a accent and and a, a a an ingredient that doesn't have to dominate the the end product. I think that's one thing that probably is maybe something that I would love to have as a suggestion as a takeaway is that look at the smoke malt as not only appropriate for smoked beers beers that you 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 know have as a primary flavor component smoke maybe even to the disregard of every everything else <laughs> i think the beauty of the smoke mall is actually sometimes in its subtle use where maybe maybe it's the point where it, it can be perceived and identified and named oh yeah there's some smoke malt in here but i think even that's a secondary flavor com you know component as i would say and then I think you can even have it even as even more subtle. We put out a beer that was called Tree Beard because it had a multiple wood character. It had, you know, obviously the smoke malt, which with alder, there was some oak aged barrel residence time. A yeah, little white red. cedar, red cedar. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. That was yeah. a fun one. So, yeah, tips. it was a fun. And, <laughs> and again, you know, it wasn't that, that, you know, again, we were saying this is, this is, was emphasizing woods influence in beer. And not to have any one wood dominate. And it was really kind of fun. So I would say uh, my big uh, suggestion is don't save your smoked malt just for smoked beers. Like and that's like Chris said, it could be the whole gambit of from light to dark. Excellent takeaway there. Well, we cer certainly appreciate you coming on today and, you know, dropping some knowledge here on the podcast. I mean, we would be remiss. We didn't have Alaskan on with, with your smoked, your repurposed salmon smoker into a glorious malt smoker. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you both so much. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. And we, we both enjoy uh, what we do and what we make and like to spread that awareness. I think Absolutely. the fact that people are brewing smoked beers all over the U.S. is really heartening for us because, again, it's it's a historical element that was refined out of existence because of the you know use of natural gas indirect heating, and I think that was a shame. And yes. I, it's great to see it being being used by other breweries, and I'm really happy that you all supply such a great set of products with smoked characters. All right. Yeah, we're happy to see it coming back in. Yep, trying to bring it back around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, y'all have a have a good rest of the day, and yeah, we'll we'll be in touch. Awesome. Great. Okay. Appreciate yep. it. All right. On to our next segment, and our next guest is Dusan Kwiatkowski from Live Oak Brewing in Austin, Texas. You know, if you never heard of Live Oak, you should because they make some amazing lagers and 
Lots of great smoked beer, so pretty stoked to have him on. What are some of the ways that, that Live Oak likes to, to make their smoked beers in general? Like, I know you guys have used some different smoked malts over the years, but is there any kind of philosophical approach to, to how you do it or traditional or, or what's, the, what's the deal? I'd say it's pretty traditional. We're kind of imitating the, the Bomberg style smoke lager beers of Schlinkerla and CL. And then, and that's all Beechwood, Beechwood smoke malt, and then oak smoke for the Brzezinski Polish smoked beer. It's, it's been, you know, it's like, it's a, it's a clean yeast beer. We used to use the, traditional ale yeast but gotcha a couple years ago we switched it over and we make it with the lager it's i think better and a little easier for us because that's a yeast we always have so and it's not really about the yeast with that beer just the smoke so yeah oak smoked wheat and beechwood smoked barley for the grodziski all right so okay cool so you're using kind of using both beechwood and oak smoke we were talking with steeplejack earlier and they were like 100 percent oak smoke so oh sorry i was just those are the two malts we use oh gotcha gotcha total the the grudzitski is 100 percent oak smoke okay and that's malt that we that we get from the grudz brovar grudzitsk in poland they they have a maltster who who makes the wheat according to their you know traditional specs and they do like 25 tons a couple times a year and we get enough to to make our roads from just like a couple pallets a couple times a year so we don't make a lot by volume but we always have it available so and we yeah we went over there in 2018 and went to the monster met met those guys saw their facility which is like a refurbed, reopened Rovar Grodzitsk brewery because it closed in the early 90s and they brought it back to life and started making this malt because the, the brewery used to make their own malt and now they do everything except they outsource the malt. That's kind of a too much labor and there's a little, the, the malt facility is, is there, but it's quite dilapidated. So it wouldn't be quite the same. What part of Poland is that? It's like 40, it's, it's in Grodzitsk. It's, it's like 40 minutes south of Poznan, which is okay. kind of like right between Warsaw and Berlin. Very cool. So, uh, yeah, I know that's like a style that's kind of like near and dear to, to Live Oak's heart that you always have on tap. You know, it's pretty neat. Like you just don't see many of them that often. Like, you know, I hope it kind of comes back more. You yeah, know, yeah. I think. I think when we when we started making it, we had three pretty pretty high percentage Polish of Polish descent people working here, including including myself. So and we're and we basically have been recreating German and Czech style traditional beers. So that was an easy an easy jump. And yeah, our we had some some brewer friends in Oklahoma that actually went over to the went over to Warsaw. There's actually there there's a library in Bomberg that has some information. And then I think they went and one of them spoke some Polish and went met with the Polish homebrewers in the late or mid two thousands and got the, the yeast, which they had been kind of keeping, keep going themselves in their little group since the brewery was closed and they brought it back. And so that's kind of our friends in Oklahoma helped us 
that's what start, off. start making it. And we were using the, the Polish ale yeast and, and we kind of shifted to lager. Right on. Okay. That's a, it's a pretty low alcohol percent beer, right? It's like in the threes. Yeah. Three, three, even three, even. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's real, it's real low. It's good for you know, drinking a lot of in hot, hot Texas summer. It's a good fit. Absolutely. Yeah. Pretty high carbonation levels too. Yeah. It's champagne level bubbles. Like oh, wow. we're, we're, I mean, may, maybe not quite, but it's for beer. It's, you know, we can get it in, in our cans. We can get it at three, two, which is not champagne, but it's with, with the beer foam, it's very, very spritzy. Absolutely. Well, you know, for those out there listening that, that don't know, Live Oak puts on this awesome, like, Roush Fest, I believe is what y'all call it. You've done it for a couple of years now, mm-hmm. where you kind of kind of roll out a whole bunch of smoke beers all at one time. See, I know there's, like, Smoketoberfest. There's, you know, your Heller Roush. These are just the ones I remember. But any other ones I'm missing there? We kind of end up, we don't make them all every year, but we it's almost more or less a a smoked version of most of the other beer styles, a smoked Schwartz beer. And then this year we made a smoked Amber lager, Bomberger, which is, that's right. Like a, I mean, the, the Schwartz beer, the, the Schlinkerla Meritzen is, it's kind of dark for Meritzen and the, our, our Schwartz beer is, it's, it's kind of, it's a more, it's like 70% of the Beechwood smoke malt is the base malt. So it's kind of more, more potent like the Schlinkerla beer and then the Bomberger is a little more like the Spezial smoke lager. It's like a little lighter, not quite as potent. A little more mellow. Mm-hmm. Is that I mean, yeah, is, so is that big ahead. bark? Is that like a smoked big bark or uh yeah it's very very similar. It doesn't have quite as much Munich in Vienna just because the 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 smoke malt is the, the pills base malt. So very cool. If somebody made a smoked Munich malt, we could, we could bump up the smoke percentage a little bit, Yeah, um, but it's, 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 it's very, it's very close. Yeah. Okay. Is the smoked Munich malt? That's a good idea. What? <laughs> <laughs> Got my on <laughs> All right. So I think if I, Rauchfest just wrapped, right. It's usually at the end of January. Yeah. We just, yeah, we just finished it. It kind of, the time of the year, it's like January. It's kind of a slow month. There's not too much going on. It's like usually kind of cold. So you can have like the, you know, the fire ambiance and use the, oh, what's it called? The hot beer poker. Beer I can't remember what it's called. It starts with an S, but uh, yeah, it, it kind of started like we started having the, it's like the last of the, the, the smoke Meritzen for, for, from fest season. We have like, we hold on to a little bit of that and we have that. And then we just kind of time most of our smoke beers to be out at around that time of year. And then maybe through the spring and summer, we'll make like maybe one or two more, but definitely the winter time is our, our smoke beer concentration so that we can yeah celebrate it properly at the big, big party I think it's our third third year of doing like making it kind of a big deal we've had we've had them all available at the same time but yeah this is our yeah I think this is like our third year of doing it I know it's definitely something I look forward to you know I usually don't make it to the to the fest but you know you you guys have them on tap for quite a while afterwards so easy to yeah plus or minus a month or two gotcha kind of get them all yeah we still have them all we haven't we haven't finished off any of them yet 
Are you? I feel like it was a slow start for the market to really pick up to wanting to get excited about drinking smoked bears. For sure. Yeah, I think it, it's still kind of, yeah, still slowly crawling up. I mean, we've been, I think 2014 or, yeah, 20, 20, I think it was like 2014 is when we started. We made them, we made a couple of batches of smoked beer before we moved into our new facility. And it's still, yeah, we don't, by volume, it's not a huge chunk, but it's a, a, a flavor that, People that are interested in trying new new flavors, new things in beer, smoke beer, kind of it, it fits in there pretty well. It's a good beer for like festival stuff when somebody's just like they're ready to just try a bunch of new things. To try everything new, yeah. And they're a little more like kind of receptive. Some people just don't like it, and that's that's fine. But it's it, it's being having having such a rich like smoke meat tradition here in Texas too. It's kind of it's a good fit. So we're going to keep doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Would you, would you say that over the years, like as live Oak's been, been brewing these, would you say that you, you kind of find yourself like maybe brewing like a little bit extra each year? Like it's, it's slowly just growing. I think it's like the people that like them are getting more excited about having them. And so we'll, they'll, they'll come out and then they'll kind of, you know, get drunk up. Fair and, enough. And, and kind of prefer it that way. We were, we were making like 60 barrels of every batch and a lot of them are just draft only. So sometimes, you know, even the, even some of the foodie restaurant bars are a little hesitant to put on a half barrel of smoked beer, but we can make 20 barrels on our cooker. So we'll do that and kind of make maybe a couple more smoked beers at one time. And yeah, I think having them come out and, get consumed and not be around too too long is is better sure would you would you think um having a smoked beer would you say that it lengthens the shelf life at all you know talking from some other smoked beer brewers they were kind of like yeah we we tend to see that smoked beers kind of last a little bit longer shelf life wise Would, would you agree yeah i can't say why but yes i don't know i mean there's some, it, it, it seems to the Groads, especially, I mean, that one, you know, that one's, I don't know, maybe it's something to do with the smoke, smoke curing of the malt or something, but I mean, that's a hundred percent smoke malt. So gotcha. Um, and then that one's a pretty, pretty bitter beer too. So okay. hops, hop, hop curing, smoke curing, maybe has something to do with it, but yeah, generally it does seem like a little bit. Yes. Okay. So we, you know, we kind of ran through these for anybody out there who's never been to Live Oaks, you know, new facility. I say new, I guess it's, it's how long, how long has your new spot been open? 2015. Yeah. So at the end of 2015 is when we moved in. Coming up on seven years, but if you've never been out there and you're in the Austin area, it's totally worth it. I mean, there's a, it's, it's on a beautiful piece of land. They have like this huge Frisbee golf course. You know, you can have a, a half liter of smoked beer, play Frisbee golf. I mean, it's just, there's nothing better on like a, a nice weather afternoon, in my opinion, <laughs> if you're into beer. Tons, of, nice. <laughs> tons of beer garden tables to sit at. There's a lot, there's a lot of room out there. Yeah. Great really. food truck serving German foods. It seems like, I think it's called like, what's, what's the food mm-hmm. called? Uh, black, black forest. Black forest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyways, it's just a rocking good time. So if you're ever in the Austin area and you're listening to this podcast, definitely don't, don't miss it. Do you recommend like one of your smoked beers as like 
a good intro to somebody that hasn't really a gateway. The Hellas, the smoked Hellas is pretty good. That's our kind of lighter smoke potency beer. There's nothing, there's not a lot of other flavors in there too. So the smoke it's less, but it might be still pretty upfront, but that's kind of why we made the, the bomb burger. It's kind of a nice, something with like a little bit of the kind of Munich malt flavor and smoke. I think that's a, those are very complimentary to start with the yeah, Schwartz beer is pretty potent, but that's probably one of our best seller smoke beers is the smoke Schwartz beer. The bomb burgers in cans, right? They, they are all in cans in the tap room in the tap room. Okay. And then you'll find some of them on draft out in the world, but it's just maybe, I don't know, maybe a pallet of kegs goes out. Sure. Um, Pretty relatively limited. It's all in Texas, right? I don't think live. Yeah. All in Texas. Yep. Yep. Wow. Well, we got to come down. Yep. They just got to make it. I don't think those are going to be in my world. So I'll have to plan, plan a vacation. Yep. Well, awesome. Anything else uh, you, you want to plug Live Oak while we got you here, Dusan? We'll be 25 years old in April. We're having a big anniversary party. Congratulations. Uh, quarter century. So it's kind of a big deal. We're planning some collaborations, some Pilsner collaborations with some of our old friends in town. And yeah, I think we'll have like some of our other, we'll have, I think we're going to have like eight, eight pills and then a bunch of other beer. We'll have a lot of beer available. So that'll be April 23rd. April 23rd. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Yep. Well, thanks so. for coming on the show today. Yeah. So thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thanks, yeah, for, the smoke, thanks for the smoke malt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Well, cool, man. Well, well, we'll, we'll let you get back to it. All right. Thanks guys. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Mm-hmm. See ya. And that concludes our smoke beer series. If you've been influenced to drink or brew a smoke beer after this, we want to see and hear how you liked it. And don't forget, it's not too late to register for Best Malt's Best Brew Challenge. This year, the recipe calls for an alt beer style using Best Chocolate Malt. For more information or to get your hands on some of the ingredients, reach out to your CMG sales rep. And thanks again to Curtis and Jeff from Alaskan Brewing Company, Dusan from uh, Live Oak Brewing Company, and our guests from part one, Chris, Mark, and Annie. We're releasing our next episode on a special day in honor of International Women's Month and Pink Boots Collaboration Brew Day. It's going to be a good one. Make sure you're subscribed and uh, make sure you don't miss it. See you next time. Cheers. Cheers.